Boy, it is. Uh, you know what my favorite part of the week, I think, is? My, my new favorite part of the week is I love sitting in this front row and hearing all the praises that you sing and it just filling the sanctuary. That, uh, that's, that's a beautiful sound. I couldn't help. I, there, there was about three or four times this morning I got goosebumps. Did you feel that? Uh, I just, it was so good. It's so good to gather together and to, to worship. And I, and I just kept feeling like, man, when we hear Susan share and we hear the, the worship and we come together as a family church, I just, I have to believe that God looks upon us and he smiles. And this is, uh, and this is a worship to him that is, uh, that is pleasing to him. Let's go before the Lord once more and commit our, ser- our sermon now to him. Father God, we pray that you would continue to smile upon us. We pray that as we open up your word and as the message is given, God, we pray that it would be your words, that, that you would smile upon us, that you would speak to us, that your truth and your love would be an, impressed upon our hearts. We invite your Holy Spirit now to come and to minister to us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, my, my grandpa was a jokester. I miss my grandpa sometimes. I miss his practical jokes. Uh, but remember when uh, cars first came out with the remote that you could honk it from, a, from the car key? My grandpa, when he got his new car, he parked it in the driveway, and then in front of the car, he went out and he glued a quarter down on the sidewalk. Whenever anyone would walk by on the sidewalk to pick up the quarter, he'd be sitting by the kitchen window and honk at them, just, uh, just, to, just to, get them, to get a rise out of them, see them jump. He'd always do practical jokes. He loved to tell stories. My grandpa was a funny storyteller. And I remember as a little guy, uh, just uh, probably like four years old, I, I noticed that, that grandpa was missing a finger. I always wonder, how did Grandpa miss it? How did Grandpa lose his finger? And one day I worked up the courage. I said, Grandpa, how did you lose your finger? Now, in hindsight, I know this story isn't true. But he went on into this big, elaborate story about how he was trying to steal cookie dough from the, from the uh, jar that Grandma had the kitchen mixer mixing up the cookie dough. He tried to reach in there and he cut his finger off. And I was like, oh no, not the cookie dough. And, uh, and so whenever, from that day on, whenever uh, mom said, hey, you want some cookie dough? I'd be like, is the mixer put away? I was scared to death of the kitchen mixer. Like this was a traumatic story for me as a, as a young kid. Uh, in fact, I had this fear of all kitchen appliances for the longest time until eventually I was like, no, grandpa didn't lose his finger in the kitchen mixer. But he never told me that. For the longest time, I was afraid of the kitchen mixer. Now I, now I share that silly story to, to get us into a, serious subject today because I do want to talk about these events in our lives that are quite traumatic. We're going to talk a a little bit this morning about the pains and the suffering and the difficult things that we've experienced that cause hurts and wounds in our hearts. And as I say that, you, you probably already have uh, the, the events coming to, to your mind. 
all of us have experienced things that have affected us deeply. And they affect our relationships uh, with our loved ones because sometimes uh, things get stirred up that, that, for, that because of these experiences, we react in certain ways. They, they affect our relationship with God because, because of these things that have happened to us. Maybe we don't feel like we can sense the Lord's love or maybe we're frustrated and angry with God because of things that have happened to us. You see, we want to talk about these hurts and these pains because obviously they affect us spiritually. They affect our ability to receive God's love and to love God in return. They affect our ability to receive the love from one another and our ability to love one another. And this this love of God and love of others is at the heart of our faith, the two greatest commandments, right? And so today we're going to talk about the hurts and the wounds that we carry in our own hearts. And I want us to understand that, first of all, God is our healer. That God can come and minister to us in our pain. In fact, I've entitled this uh, sermon, Wounded Healers, because Jesus is our wounded healer. It was by his wounds that we are healed. And we're going to look at a story in which uh, Jesus comes with the scars on his hands, in his resurrected body, the scars on his hands where the nails pierce him and and the scar on his side. And it was by his wounds that he brought healing to Thomas, the person, the, the disciple we know is doubting Thomas. We're going to look at that story today. But I also want to emphasize, as we talk about Jesus being our wounded healer, that we are to emulate him in this way that we are to be wounded healers. In fact, uh, when God heals us, it gives us a greater depth out of which we can minister and help others. You've heard the saying, hurt people hurt people. That's that's true. Uh, When we've been hurt, sometimes we have a tendency to hurt people out of our hurt. But it is also true that hurt people can help people when God heals them. When God heals our hurts and God ministers to us, it opens up a deep reservoir within our soul in which we have a greater amount of compassion and love. And even as uh, Susan shared this morning, I know that to be the case in, in her life. It is oftentimes out of the hurts and the experiences that she's experienced. That is why her heart breaks so much for these women in India. And God can do that for all of us. He's done that in my life. He continues to do that. This is, this is part of the gospel, that God comes and heals us and uh, offers us an opportunity to, to be wounded healers. So the story we want to look at is that story of Doubting Thomas. It's found in John chapter 20, and we're going to be looking at verses 24 through 29. This is a story of how Thomas is with the other disciples. And the other disciples have seen the resurrected Christ. And Thomas says, there's no way. I don't believe unless I touch his, the nail marks in his hands and put my hands in his side. Unless I see him with his scars, I will not believe. And Jesus comes and he does almost verbatim what, he, what Thomas has said he needs. He says, come and do it. Come and feel my hands and my my and see the scars and touch my side and in that moment through the work of the 
wounded healer as Jesus, uh, Thomas's life and heart is changed. This is John chapter 20, verses 24 through 29. Now, Thomas, also known as Didymus, which is a nickname. Didymus translated into English would be twin. He must have had a twin, and so sometimes he's called twin. Now, Thomas, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where his nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came in and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, My Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, Because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen me and yet believed. This is a story of Jesus in his resurrected body. We're still only a couple weeks out from Easter, and during Holy Week we celebrated Jesus' crucifixion and his resurrection. Before we get too far away from it, I just want us to think about the crucifixion again as a traumatic event for Jesus. This is multi-layered trauma. First of all, Jesus experienced unspeakable physical trauma. He, uh, he was uh, crucified in a slow and cruel death that would have been done to a criminal. He was be- beaten and publicly humiliated physically. He experienced the trauma of being rejected by the religious rulers, being mocked by the soldiers, being spit upon and ridiculed by the crowd, and being abandoned by his disciples. He experienced the shame of being stripped naked in public. And then all of this was done while his mother watched on. You can imagine the, how traumatic this event was, how much hurt and pain and suffering Jesus is experiencing. And then the greatest hurt and pain of it all is that as he is hung on the cross, all the sin and the guilt of everyone in the history of the world is laid upon him, and he feels the burden of that. And he bears the full weight of God's judgment and wrath. When we think of the trauma in our own lives, I just want to uh, emphasize that there is nothing that we have experienced or will experience that Jesus cannot empathize with, that he cannot relate to, that he cannot uh, draw near to us in our suffering. Jesus is known as the suffering servant, and he is able to come alongside of us and suffer with us. In fact, that's just part of the healing that he provides. Sometimes we just need someone to walk with in our pain and our, in our, in our trauma. And so what are these things that you have experienced? They get locked inside our psyche. They get stored up in our souls. 
These become barriers that keep us from God's love and from love to one another. What are these things that you have experienced? They can happen in our homes when we're growing up or even as adults. They can happen in schools. These events can be the ridicule of friends at school. They can, they can happen in our communities. They can happen in our workplace. They can even, unfortunately, sometimes we experience pain within the church itself. And it hurts deeply. Uh, my wife is a social worker, so I gave her an assignment this week. I said, give me some stats. Okay, uh, my wife works for... Uh, uh, Children and Family Services for L.A. County. She did some research for us. And I'll just give these, not as a way of trying to identify your trauma, but to recognize that in a room this size, we want to be aware that, that surely there are, the, there are uh, deep and, and painful experiences that we have experienced. According to my wife, Chelsea, and I'm sure that she's accurate here, one in four girls and one in four boys have been molested. And one in three women and one in three more men have experienced domestic violence. And one in ten children live with an alcoholic parent. And one in 15 have witnessed their mother being beaten or hit. These, these wounds can run real deep. And we can store up these things and it, and it creates justified anger. And, uh, and we can understand why we would learn, we would learn in, our, in our hearts to, 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 to hate and to, and to feel this deep pain. And it's not just these things. It can be all kinds of things. The, the Barna Group, a large Christian research organization, uh, discovered, and, and I'll quote here their statistics, two-fifths of practicing Christians. So they just surveyed Christians in this study. Two-fifths of practicing Christians, 40%, say that trauma was incited by the death of a loved one. That was the most common cause among this group. The next most mentioned cause of trauma was betrayal by a trusted friend, a loved one or a friend. And that was noted by one-third of the group, 33%. Forms of abuse such as domestic violence, 21%, follow in frequency. When we think of all of these things and, then, and you think of the way of the hurts and the wounds that you carry in your heart, we just want to recognize that God knows about these things and God cares about these things. And God wants to bring healing into our hearts. The first words that Jesus spoke to Thomas when he appeared to uh, him are, uh, the first words are, Peace be with you. And Jesus wants to bring peace to your life as well. You should know that. You should let that truth uh, take root in your, in your mind and your heart. Jesus wants you to have peace. Sometimes things happen to us and it's like a storm is brewing inside of us. It's just like almost like we can't keep the emotions in us. We get so frustrated. We get so angry. We just want to lash out. And Jesus comes to you this morning, and he wants to say, peace be with you. He wants to bring peace into your life. And so how does Jesus do that? Well, we're going to talk about that this morning. But to get us started and pointed in the right direction, uh, Psalm 34, 17, and 18 say, 
The righteous cry out and the Lord hears them. He delivers them from all their troubles. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted and he saves those who are crushed in spirit. I think that uh, one of the ways we see hope in these verses is the idea that we can cry out to the Lord. We can express these emotions, these troubles, these experiences to the Lord. He wants to hear us. It says the Lord hears us and he delivers us from our trouble. And then it says the Lord is close to the brokenhearted. I do know that part of the healing that God brings to our lives is that he draws close to us. He comes alongside of us. Now, in my experience, a lot, a lot of what, this, what these verses are talking about is our, our experience in, in quiet times of prayer and meditation. When we quiet ourselves in the Lord's presence with his word open and we pray and we ask God to speak to us and we lay our hurts bare before the Lord and he comes and, and, uh, and he speaks to us. You see, oftentimes the hurts are confronted by God's truth. Healing comes by God's truth coming and speaking truth into our hearts because these, experience, these experiences can bring such inaccuracies to, to our minds. They can bring lies. And so God's word comes and speaks truth to us. And then I also know that God's word, word comes and speaks truth to us not only in our quiet times of prayer, but through one another, our brothers and sisters. You see, this is why this sermon is so crucial uh, to, our, to our series about family church, because it is oftentimes through our brothers and sisters in the family of God that God speaks his truth to us. It is through, the, it is through a loved one, a, a brother or a sister, that, that hears what we have to say, and then it sometimes can be so, so simple, but it can just be those simple words that penetrate a word that God loves you or God cares about you. And those things are oftentimes received in more tangible ways through one another, through whom the Holy Spirit lives in, and God speaks through them. See, Satan is a liar, and he loves to come and take these wounds and stir them up within us to, uh, to say lies to us, to tell us that you are no good that you are not loved. If someone else knew what you had experienced, they would not like you. He speaks lies that say, uh, God must not really be for you, or he would have never let that happen to you. God, could, God must not really love you, you, and you could never be of any use to the Lord. And Satan comes and he speaks those lies, and God wants to tear down those barriers and speak his truth and, and let you know that those things are not true. That God loves you more than you could ever get your mind around. That God, uh, that God comes and he can heal you and he can wipe away that pain and that sorrow. Now, he doesn't mean that we pretend like it never existed. Going back to the story of Jesus and uh, Thomas, the scars remain, right? This is a resurrected body. Jesus walked into a locked room with nobody open the, opening the door. This is a glorious body, and yet the one thing that I notice that they say remains is the scar. Jesus doesn't uh, ask us to sweep it under the rug and uh, say that it never happened. He, he wants to come in and he wants to transform those things to bring glory to himself, to bring 
grace into our own hearts and lives. And so as a church, we stand here, uh, we gather together to confront these lies and to speak God's truth. And we want this to be, if we are a family church, we want this to be a safe place to share our stories and to minister to one another. Every week at the end of the service, we have prayer counselors that line up at the front of the church, right? And, uh, and we know that this is just going to be a couple minutes, and, it, and it's not meant to, to be long-term counseling or anything like that. But it is meant to be uh, symbolic and an opportunity for you to recognize, I don't have to pretend like I've got it all together. I want to come and receive prayer because I come as a wounded person. There is no shame in being wounded. In fact, God wants us to open up our woundedness that we can receive his healing. And so these prayer counselors are here just to pray for you. And you don't even have to know why you're coming forward. You just sense, I want to receive God's prayer because I know I need the Lord. These prayer counselors are here. And and we have our life groups, the small groups that meet every week, are meant to be discussion groups to talk about the application of God's word. Because as we hear God's word uh, preached on Sundays and and we study God's word, we recognize we want to see God come and make a difference in what we're actually going through. And so we have life groups that are based on discussion and thinking about how does this affect me and my experiences. And when we gather to to worship, and I love that our church is such a, a worshiping church, it is meant to be an experience to connect with the Lord. And so sometimes we stand and we shout God's praises, but if there are days where you just need to sit and meditate on the truth of the songs, you are more than welcome to do that. In fact, you are more than welcome to come to the front and kneel here as if this was an altar to the Lord. You are welcome to kneel in the aisle or in your, or, or in your seat, whatever. The only thing is that we are connecting with the Lord because we want to receive His power into our lives. And we want to be changed and healed. That is what the Holy Spirit can do for us. When God comes, when Jesus comes and appears to Thomas, he is changed. His response is, my Lord and my God. He's changed. He he moves from unbelief to belief. The literal translation of what Jesus says to Thomas is in verse uh, 27. It says in the NIV, what I read earlier, uh, that translation of the Bible says, stop doubting and believe. But here's the literal translation from the Greek. Do not become no belief, but believe. That's what Jesus says. Do not become no belief, but believe. So in other words, just a little bit of belief, just a tiny little bit, opens the door for God to work. Do not become uh, no belief. Just believe, even if it's a small amount. It opens the door for God to come and begin to do his healing work. So to wrap up, and I'm going to give us five steps of application here, and uh, these, some of these are kind of repeat, uh, rep- repeating what I've already said, but I just want to say that I think I see at least five points of application in this passage. One is we should be, and I'll, and I'll put it in the second person, uh, 
you should be present to your own wounds. You should be uh, present to your own wounds. In other words, it's good for you to acknowledge where you've been hurt. We see in this story that Thomas doesn't pretend in in the quote-unquote church when he's with the the other disciples and the other believers. He doesn't pretend to believe. He states his weakness clearly. I do not believe. Unless I see the Lord, I'm not going to believe. And then I also see that Jesus is present to his own wounds because his scars remain. And it is good for us to be able to admit when we are struggling in faith or or from an experience where where we're hurting, we must uh, be able to say there is no shame in admitting our weaknesses, in admitting our hurts, in sharing our wounds. And so one... Be present to your own wounds. And two, related to that, is share your story in safe places. This is part of the the healing process, is when we begin to share our stories in safe places. It's interesting to me to note in the passage that Thomas expresses his unbelief, and then it says, a week later, Jesus came and met with them. Now, where is Thomas seven days after he's admitted his own unbelief? He's still with the people of God. For him, it's a safe place to be, even in his weakness. Seven days later, Jesus comes and meets with him. Now that just reminds us that oftentimes healing will not happen overnight. It takes time. It takes years. Sometimes it takes decades. There are things that I experienced as a child that I'm still wrestling with all these years later. Now, God's brought a lot of healing, but just know that healing is oftentimes a lifelong process. It will not happen overnight. It happens for Thomas one week later, and for sometimes for us, it's much, much longer. But the thing I notice here is that Thomas was there with the believers. He's in their presence. It's a safe place. Now, sometimes we think, oh, we think almost the opposite. I could never share my story with this group of, of, the, of, of my friends or, or, my, or these fellow believers. One of my favorite authors, Parker Palmer, says, we know, uh, we, the more we know about another's story, the harder it is to hate or harm that person. And I'll just put that in the positive. The more we know about another sto- person's story, the more we tend to have compassion and love for that person. You see, the opposite of tr- is true than what we get planted in our hearts. Oh, they would never like me. In fact, they will like you and love you all the more because our hearts break when we begin to share life with one another. I love to hear stories. I'm a storyteller. I love to hear stories. And I love to hear stories of one another because it just binds us together. And in sharing, you see that your wounds do not have the last word in the kingdom of God. Okay, let me just say that once more, because you need to know that. In sharing your story, you begin to learn, you, you learn that your wounds do not have the last word in the kingdom of God. Just as Jesus rose from the dead, he gets the last word. He, begin, he can bring redemption to your heart to your wounds. The scars will remain, yes, but the victory is ours through Christ Jesus our Lord. 
because he begins to work in our hearts. So number two is share your story in safe places. Number three is connect with the larger, more beautiful story of God. As you share your story, you begin to see how God can bring redemption to your life and make a difference in the world. God has a plan. God is doing something big and uh, in, in the world of bringing healing and redemption and grace to this world. And as we connect with the, with the Lord and experience His uh, grace in our stories, it connect, connects us with His grand, bigger plan. And that leads us to point number four, and that is to trust in the Lord. And I recognize that what we are talking about here is not always easy. It's sometimes hard to trust in the Lord when those wounds have gotten scratched and these hurts have, been, have, been, uh, have, have, have occurred in our hearts. The world is a broken place and it's hard to trust in the Lord. Jesus said to Thomas, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believed. And I know that Jesus is speaking specifically about blessed are those who have not seen my resurrected body and believe that I have risen from the dead, but I think there's a spiritual principle there too. We don't always see what the Lord is doing. We don't always understand it, especially when difficult things happen to us. But if we can believe while not seeing, we are blessed of the Lord. That God can uh, do work in our hearts and change us along the way. And then the fifth point of application is use your wounds to minister to others. Just as Jesus used his scars to minister to Thomas, these things that have happened in our lives open up opportunities for us to minister to others in ways that we uh, could, we could not otherwise because we have a strength that's in our hearts that would not be there if we had not gone through these difficult experiences. You understand what I'm, I'm saying along these lines? A few weeks ago, we had a youth worship night in here, and uh, it was a beautiful time. It, it was one of my, it was, a, it was just a great experience. I didn't have anything to do with it in leading it, so I sat in the back row and kind of observed what was happening. And all the youth were in the front rows, and Amanda and her team were up here and leading worship, and it was a wonderful thing. It was a beautiful thing. And, uh, and I'm sitting in the back just watching, and the youth are really ex uh, expressing heart, their heart of worship, and it's a beautiful thing. And, uh, they're get and at the end, they're really getting into us. They're dancing and getting excited. And there's one little, uh, there's one uh, a boy that was sitting over here, and uh, and I know he doesn't come to church regularly. He was invited by one of the by one of the other uh, teenagers in our church. It was a friend of his, and uh, he got to the side. He's not used to this. He doesn't worship regularly. His family doesn't come to church, and yet two, uh, uh, yet his friend and one other kid uh, go over, and they and when they're all dancing, they begin to try to get him into it. They begin to. Uh, to get him to dance and to sing. And eventually he does. He begins to dance and he sings. And he came to church the next morning. And I went, and I went to him. I said, I'd never seen him in church before. I said, did you enjoy the worship night last night? He said, oh yeah, it was great. And I said, what did you like so much about it? He said, I liked it when those two guys came over and started dancing with me and singing with me. And I really got into it and I felt the Lord's presence. And... Uh, 
I share that story and I get emotional even now because I know what that kid felt like. I was that boy at his age. I long just to be accepted. I long to find my place. I'm able to resonate with, with what he is going through. I shared some of my story last week. Uh, that, that gets right in line with what I've experienced. I told someone during uh, the week, I said, uh, I told him that story, and I said, that's the reason I got into ministry, because I want to make a difference in a young man's life like that. And all of us have a different story. And I've got other hurts and pains that I've experienced, and it opens up my heart in different ways to have compassion and love towards others. And so do you. God is able to take these difficult wounds and experiences and pains that you've experienced, and he's able to transform them to be sources of his grace and his strength. And so we get two circles in our lives when we, when we think about uh, our, our wounds. They are a source of pain, and then they are a mark of shame. We don't like to think about those things. We don't like to share those things. But when God comes into our life and he begins to work, he transforms that so that he changes the source of pain to become a sign of grace, a sign of his grace. And he changes the mark of shame to become the means of grace. So his grace flows through us. Oftentimes when we pray in the church, we ask the Lord, we say, God, just make me a, a vessel of grace a vessel of love. May I, may I be a source that your love and your grace can flow through. You know, you were created to be a vessel of love. You were created for God to pour out his love in you and you to store up that love in your heart and then to, for God's love to flow through you to others. You were created to be a vessel of love, but sometimes that vessel gets cracks in it because of the difficult experiences in our lives, and it feels like all the love of is just seeping out. Here's the good news. God's a God of a lot of super glue. He can come, and he can patch up all those cracks, and he can, and he can pour out his love in you, and he can make you into a vessel of love so that his love and his grace flow through you. That idea of being a vessel of love reminds me of a verse in 2 Corinthians 4. And, and some of you know this verse. It talks about being a jar of clay. And uh, I'm going to invite the worship team to come forward now and the, and the prayer counselors. And, and I want to read these verses from 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 4 as a, as, a, as a way for us just to think about the idea of being a vessel of love, being that jar of clay. In the first century, a jar of clay was an everyday item, almost like a styrofoam cup. See it all the time, throw it away. It's just a, it's just a, it's a, it's a vessel of clay. It's, a, it's like a cracked pot. And yet it says that in these vessels of clay, in these cracked pots, God hides his, God fills us up with his all-surpassing greatness and love and grace and mercy. And so let's bow our heads and close our eyes. We talk about the truth of God's word uh, just in a time of quiet meditation. 
I invite you to let these words of truth wash over your hearts. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down, but not destroyed. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may be revealed in our body. God, thank you for the truth and the, of your word that though we are hard-pressed, though we are perplexed, though we are persecuted, though we have been struck down, that you are still with us, that we are not abandoned, that we are not in despair, that we are not destroyed because the Holy Spirit is here with us. And so, God, as we carry around these wounds in our hearts, these pains and these hurts, that you would transform them for your glory. That you would bring your love and your grace and your mercy to our hearts and our lives. God, I thank you for each person that is here. And you know exactly what they have experienced. And you want to meet them right where they are at. God, I pray that as we come into your presence, as we live in your presence, as we worship, God, I pray that you would meet us in our hearts. And God, that you would heal those wounds. I pray for each, each person here this morning that comes and they've got their hurts. They've got those wounds. As I mentioned, the idea of trauma or difficulty or pain, God, there's an event, there's a relationship that comes to mind immediately. God, I pray that you would heal them and help them and draw alongside of them. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.